Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business show from the journalists at Business in Vancouver. I'm Haley Wooden. Tesla CEO Elon Musk recently said that he believes Bitcoin is on the verge of breaking into traditional finance. I'm joined today by Mitchell Demeter. He's the president of NetCoins based here in Vancouver. He also happens to be one of BIV's 40 under 40 winners. Mitchell, great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Before we get into a big conversation on Bitcoin and crypto, let's start with NetCoins. For anyone who isn't familiar with what you do, give us a bit of an overview of what NetCoins is. Absolutely. So NetCoins is an online platform that makes it easy for Canadians to buy and sell digital currencies like Bitcoin. Um, We're owned by a publicly traded company, uh, Big Digital Assets, um, which means that all of our financial statements are audited and publicly available, which gives our users a little more transparency into our business and our operations. I understand that can sometimes be a risk in the space to not necessarily knowing what you're investing in or even who you're investing with. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. So let's get to your thoughts on what Elon Musk recently said. Do you agree that Bitcoin is kind of on this verge of breaking into traditional finance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's a trend that I've seen for a long time now. And uh, you know, over the last eight, nine years, it, it's, it's just been slowly gaining more and more adoption. Um, this last year, 2020, was a huge year for Bitcoin. Uh, the price of Bitcoin ran from about $6,000 up to, to about 30000 U.S., and uh, a lot of that was driven by these large institutional buyers um, kind of realizing that, uh, that there's a future in Bitcoin. Um, and they've been allocating large percentages of their internal treasuries or the corporate treasuries to Bitcoin, um, partially as a hedge against uh, what many are seeing as uh, incoming inflation. Yeah, you mentioned hedge. That's a really great point. I'm curious if in the future of Bitcoin, we start to see it used for other purposes. So not just as, say, an asset in the traditional sense, but maybe more as a currency where you could actually use it to pay for things in a store. Do you think that that's part of the future of Bitcoin? Yeah, I, I think it, it definitely could be. Um, there's a lot of innovation in this space right now um, to make it more usable for smaller transactions. Um, it's grown so fast that, there, that there's a lot of traffic on the network and right now it's actually fairly expensive to use. Um, expensive in the sense that you know a transaction could cost 10 or $15 to send, um, which isn't a lot when you're sending larger amounts of money, but it's quite a bit, obviously, if you're trying to you know, spend it for a regular retail transaction. So we're not seeing a lot of use uh, for smaller transactions like that, but uh, there's, there's a lot of systems that are being built right now that, uh, that will make that more efficient in the future. So the costs might come down and that would obviously, I guess, be almost a requirement for Bitcoin being used in that way? Absolutely. Uh, why hasn't Bitcoin been more a part of traditional finance up until this point? What would you say are some of the biggest barriers that exist to acceptance and also adoption, in addition to that cost issue that you pointed out? I think it's still just really early. Um, it, it's new. Not a lot of people understand it. And traditionally, it's been really hard to get access to. Um, over the last few years, you know, we've been hard at work building a system that makes it really easy for people to get in and out of Bitcoin and, and other digital currencies. But um, up until a few years ago, it was really difficult. And, and still today, it's hard for institution, institutional players to get access in regulated, safe platforms. Um, and, and so that's kind of where we are on the curve is that the, the infrastructure is still being built to, to make it more accessible. Tell me a bit about the regulatory piece. How have regulations evolved? 
So we're doing a lot of work with the regulators here in Canada. Um, basically, we're, we're talking with the BC Securities Commission and the CSA um, a couple times a week right now to basically get to a point where our platform uh, gets that regulatory st stamp of approval, um, basically letting consumers know that, you know, we've been um, assessed and evaluated and we've got the checks and balances and insurance in place to make sure that it's a safe platform for consumers to be trading on. Uh, it's a it's a slow process because there's a lot of education that needs to happen, and, uh, and there's like I said, there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be built. Um, but it's definitely moving. It's moving along, and um, and we see this in countries all around the world where these conversations are being had. And you know, a lot of a big part of that is educating the regulators on what exactly we're dealing with and helping them identify the risks and helping them set out guidelines and framework that actually makes sense uh, for the consumers. And, and make sure, making sure that there aren't any unintended consequences of potential regulation, like pushing consumers into offshore or unregulated entities. I feel like there was a point in time where there was some uncertainty around whether regulators were going to even allow the trading, the buying, the selling of cryptocurrencies. I think we've come a long way past that point. Is there still any uncertainty? What's kind of the general attitude of regulators toward various crypto assets? I think overall, right now, the the writing is on the wall that uh, that it will be allowed. Um, you know, it, it's it's being adopted at a rapid rate, and uh, and so I don't think there's risk of it being you know, prohibited or banned outright. Um, but I think you know, basically, where we're at right now is is setting those frameworks up to to make it safer and actually protecting consumers. Um, we had a, a few instances in Vancouver over the years where we had unregulated platforms that were, you know, operating either Ponzi schemes or just, you know, with terrible structure. And there was no government oversight. There's nobody there to make sure that, you know, th these businesses weren't putting consumers at risk. And uh, a lot of people ended up losing a lot of money. And so, so in that sense, I think it's in the regulator's best interest and even in the consumer's best interest to have somebody, you know, taking a look and, and overseeing these organizations to make sure that there's structure and insurance and, and, uh, and that, you know, these businesses are being run properly to protect consumers. I know uh, Quadriga is a very high profile example of an exchange where there are so many issues and so many people lost money. Einstein Exchange, another one here in BC. Do you find with your own company, are you up against sort of these negative examples? And do you find you have to do almost more education to let people know that, look, those aren't necessarily reflective of the industry as a whole? Um, surprisingly not. We, we don't get a ton of pushback, um, but I think we've we kept that in mind and we've been really proactive about, you know, showing consumers why we're different. And and we've be, made a real effort to be very transparent about who's behind the company. Um, you know, some of these sites, there's no founders on the on the website. There's nobody from the organization on the website. And so people are just sending money into these, you know, ominous businesses or offshore bank accounts or third party payment processors without any, any transparency transparency at all. And so right from the inception, um, we made a real effort to make people make people comfortable and let them know that we are working with regulators, let them know who we are personally, and, uh, you know, and who's behind the company and, and basically have somebody there that's being held accountable. And, uh, and that's gone a long way for making our customers feel comfortable. I know uh, for a while when we've spoken about Bitcoin, it's often been associated with a lot of hype or a Bitcoin bubble. Do you think we're moving past that a little bit? 
Um, the nature of the industry is very cyclical. So, so we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll come into another, you know, another cycle where it gets overbought and it comes back down and consolidates. But uh, I think that's kind of the nature of any new emerging market. And, uh, you know, the, it gets overbought and, and a lot of the innovation in the building happens during the downtime. And, and that's each cycle we see more infrastructure and, and it's, it's there to support the, the larger market each time it goes up. And so I think we're still really early in this cycle. Um, you know, we're, we're sitting in around $32,000, $34,000 U.S. right now, when the last all-time high was uh, just over $20,000 U.S. And I, I think there's room for that to go a lot higher. Um, I expect that we'll go a lot higher and we'll come back down, we'll consolidate, and uh, it'll be very similar to the cycles we've seen over the last 10 years. We, of course, focus so much on Bitcoin, but there are dozens and dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of various crypto assets and currencies that exist. What are some of the other ones that are most interesting to you or you think people should maybe start paying attention to beyond Bitcoin? So Bitcoin is the primary one that, uh, that I'm interested in. Um, I think Bitcoin solves the bigger problem of fiat currencies in general. And it's, it's been helping educate people on the basis of sound money. And with the governments around the world printing money at a rapid rate, um, Bitcoin has become more important than ever. Um, you know, there's been a lot of countries throughout history that have learned hard lessons about what happens when governments create money out of thin air. And so that's kind of where Bitcoin is really stepping up and, and it's, it's you know, having its moment. But we're also seeing other basically imbalances and inefficiencies in markets in general, um, like the Robinhood fiasco that we saw last week. Um, and, and basically what people are realizing is that there's an imbalance in power. Um, there's you know, certain people that potentially have too much control over how markets work and they have the ability to interfere with the free market. And so there's a big movement towards decentralized finance happening right now. Um, a lot of this is being built on Ethereum. Um, we've got protocols like Uniswap um, that are basically enabling people to have to create financial markets in a decentralized manner. So the same way that Bitcoin is a completely decentralized currency, they're working toward building, rebuilding stock markets or rebuilding exchanges on these decentralized platforms, which would allow people to trade 24 hours a day, seven days a week internationally. And uh, we wouldn't have the middlemen with the ability to restrict trading in one direction or the other. That's really interesting. Do you think if we see Bitcoin or other crypto assets become more part of traditional finance, does their structure as decentralized systems make it impossible for there to be power imbalances? Or as we see powerful institutions, governments, countries embrace these platforms, these currencies, is it possible that we then start to see some of these traditional financial issues creep into the crypto space? I think it, it's definitely... Um it's definitely possible. It, I think it's human nature to for people to try and influence markets and to try and manipulate things for their own benefit. Um, and, and so where there's centralized power, that temptation and the ability is, is a lot greater. Um, these decentralized markets, the beauty of it is that if people feel like one platform is being manipulated or controlled by a central organization, you've got the ability to move to a different platform that's more democratized. Um, and so that's, that's the nice thing about competing currencies and competing platforms in this decentralized industry is that people have 
freedom and they've got the ability to move into markets and basically vote with their with their capital and uh, and vote with their usage we're, we're not restricted in these you know single platforms that uh, that are being you know potentially manipulated it's been such an interesting start to 2021, especially in the crypto space. You mentioned, of course, that very interesting GameStop versus Wall Street phenomenon that we've been paying attention to for the last week or so. What are you going to be watching as 2021 continues? I'll be watching the entire cryptocurrency space. Um, you know, obviously can't help but watch the traditional markets as well. Uh, I definitely think it's going to be an exciting year for, for finance overall. In Vancouver, are we uh, perhaps going to be increasingly on the map when it comes to innovation in the space? I think so. Absolutely. We, we've got a great community in Vancouver. Um, we've, we've got a really healthy uh, cryptocurrency industry with a ton of different companies. Um, and, and yeah, there's a lot of innovation, a lot of talent coming out of Vancouver. Great. Mitchell, a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on with your insight. Thank you, Haley. That's Mitchell Demeter. He's the president of NetCoins. This is BIV Today. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back with a new episode of our show tomorrow.